welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, the perhaps the nation's most controversial after the Zillow radio shows we did recently, but certainly the most listened to industry broadcast of its kind. Um, and we are going to continue where we left off yesterday. And the topic of today's radio show, Julie, is? The topic of today's radio show is the continuation of The Power of Thinking Big, How to Finally Live the Life of Your Dreams. Yeah, and you know what? I personally love topics like this because they're fun to talk about. But the real reason I love, and they're fun to present, obviously, um, and, but the real reason I love talking about these topics, to be honest with you, is because I know they resonate with a lot of you. I know that a lot of you are just I – don't, I don't claim to – and Julia, you know, we don't claim to be the originator a lot of, the, of a lot of this content. I mean, the reality of it is, if you guys have ever studied a lot of this type of um, mindset material, I think is what it should be called, it all harkens back to the Bible. I don't know if you guys have ever explored that, but Julia and I spent a lot of time sort of investigating the real true genesis of a lot of this Mindset information, it's the Old Testament, which is kind of interesting. So I'm not going to claim and never will we claim that these are original thoughts, but um, if we do enhance them or if we are able to uh, tie a real estate story so it becomes more relevant to you guys, certainly we'll do that. What we see as a result of presenting this mindset material a lot of times is that you guys are thanking us. You know, maybe it's on a website, maybe it's on in the news feature features, maybe it's someplace else. You're thanking us for reminding you, and I think that's probably – the, the most profound type of feedback that I get, hey, Tim, listen, I really appreciate the information on Thinking Big. You're reminding me of something that I had almost forgotten about. I think that's pretty cool because really at the end of the day, guys, when you're um, seeking knowledge, when you're on the path to improving yourself, you'll find that you'll know you're on the right path when you feel what uh, I think some people call an epiphany. And when an epiphany is sort of like one of those aha moment type things, but true knowledge, you know you're really receiving something, it's really resonating with you. When it doesn't feel like something new, you're not like learning Chinese or, you know, if you're Chinese, it's not like you're learning German. That, not new like that, but where it feels like it's a gentle nudge uh, that you kind of feel very familiar and comfortable with. In other words, when you guys feel like you're being reminded of something, that is a surefire sign that it's information that you are seeking and that it's basically being received um, by your mind, uh, by your spirit in many ways, at the highest level. So those, that type of feedback we love. And also, I always, you know, we are real big <laughs> on showing gratitude and showing gratitude to all of you. Thank you sincerely for making this broadcast the number one industry broadcast. It's really phenomenal, the growth that we've seen in the past 12 months. And I anticipate that we'll probably double again in size to, uh, in terms of the total listeners every month. Uh, I bet you we're going to be tracking for close to 100,000 regular listeners here in a very short uh, time frame. And that's because you guys are sharing the radio show. It's because you guys are listening, liking, and then, you know, Facebooking it, tweeting it, and whatnot. So please do continue that and, and, and help us really to get the word out, guys, because the success and the continuation of this radio show, honestly, is really, truly about you guys. You know, every day we do free coaching calls. And one of the questions I had is, what will be the one product 
that they should employ in their business immediately that would have the most immediate effect on generating listing leads? And you know what? I love the question because I didn't even have to think about the answer. The answer was Mojo. I mean, Julie, can you think of anything more powerful than MojoSells.com at really generating consistent listing leads? If your intention is to build your listing inventory and then maintain your listing inventory, it's really a must-have for the sake of efficiency. And I would right. agree with you. If you had to choose one thing, that would be at the top of the list. And I love it, too, because it's like a complete system, and it's turnkey. And if you guys don't know what Mojo Sells is or Mojo, what they offer, and like a lot of people, when if they've heard what Mojo is, they'll say, well, it's a dialer. But it's so much more than a dialer. I mean, honestly, it's one of those products that everyone should have in their real estate practice. If you're serious about your real estate business, if you're serious about becoming a listing agent, there honestly isn't any question that you should be using MojoSells.com. And Julie, so let's just jump right back in. And yesterday we left off with um, the next point, which we thought would be a great way to start today's show, about you are what you think. And, you know, Julie and I were just chatting right before today's show, talking about whether or not we should include what I'd written in our notes um, as far as uh, the next bet. And by the way, guys, these are notes from um, the book that we assigned to most of our coaching students to read called The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. And we're kind of going through crib note style and relating it to all of you guys and how you can apply this immediately to your real estate and, of course, your business and you know your, your business and your personal life. So this next little bit, I was thinking that maybe we don't include today, but Julie actually, prior to today's show, pointed out to me how relevant it is. So Julie, what's the next passage and let them know how it is relevant? Sure. So the, the quote that leads to this is, believe it can be done. When you believe something can be done, really believe it. Your mind will actually find the ways to do it. Believing a solution paves the way to the solution. So this applies virtually to everything in real estate. The most salient, obvious example is if you walk up to a seller's door and you believe it's your next listing, you're so much more likely to take that listing, it's not even funny. You'll present better, you will close stronger, you'll ask better questions, you'll handle your objections better, versus believing, well, you know, maybe I want it, maybe I won't, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's no way to approach life. It's what you believe can be done. I also see this frequently when, an, when a student, when a coaching client sets a goal, and then we immediately, I make sure I always immediately talk about lead follow-up after that, because their mind gets spinning on, well, how am I going to create the money to, to get to that goal? So each person working with us is important. And, it, and from the book, it says, otherwise they wouldn't be on the payroll. Well, that applies to your team, but it also applies to the clients you work with. Everyone is important. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in front of them. The way we think towards our jobs determines how everyone thinks about their jobs. So maybe your attitude towards working with buyers might be reflected in how buyers are working with you. So think about how you can apply this. Always show positive attitude towards what you're doing so that your clients and prospects and teammates will pick up on that right thinking, on that positive attitude. So as you approach real estate every day, as you approach life every day, ask yourself, am I worthy in every respect of being imitated? Are all of my habits such that I would be glad to see them in my teammates, in my prospects, in my clients, in my family? So really, Tim, I think this probably gets down to setting a good example and acting as you want to be treated. Does, I mean, does that make sense to you? 
Well, the the uh, aspect of this that I wasn't sure would be directly relevant to realtors was the fact that they oftentimes don't consider themselves as having jobs. They all think of themselves yeah. as business owners. They think of themselves as entrepreneurs. They think of themselves as anything other than having a job. Matter of fact, most got real estate licenses so they wouldn't have to feel like they had a job. But it is interesting that if you decide, for example, that selling real estate or primarily being a listing agent is your job, being a salesperson is your job, and yes, you're an independent contractor, yes, you are for yourself, yes, all those things are true. But if you started thinking in terms of this is my job, I'll be judged based on the performance that I, you know, the services that I provide to obviously the clients. And if I don't do a good job at my job, that I'll be fired. You know, when you put it in that context, and when you think in terms of if you were working for somebody, you will automatically get better results than if you were just thinking in terms of working for yourself as an independent contractor. Because let's, let's just be honest. I mean, if we just consider ourselves independent contractors and don't think of ourselves as being essentially employees of, yes, our own company, but you know, having jobs that are being you know, bosses holding us accountable, we give ourselves too many breaks, <laughs> don't we? For you know? sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's time for another. You've worked hard enough for 15 minutes. Go take a 45-minute coffee break. You know, exactly. Oh, no, Facebook really is work. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Hang out on that Facebook group. That is work. Do you think any boss would allow you to do that? You guys know that most people are blocked from getting on Facebook at work. You know, they can't get on Facebook and all the rest of it, all the other things that we all do in the course of our days that we will uh, try to rationalize is work. It's not work. So, you know, the whole job aspect of this is very powerful. So build your self. uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Julie. Read the next bit. So build your sell yourself to yourself commercial and practice it out loud in private at least once a day. So this is a very important coaching lesson that we do. Sell yourself on yourself. So the question that you can apply to your practice is, why would I list with you? Sell yourself to yourself. Would you list with you? And if not, why not? If you would list with you, what are two or three bullet points that make it so I'm gonna, you would list with you versus the person that sits in the office next to you? So sell yourself to yourself. Build a three-minute or less commercial. What are your unique selling propositions? Why do I go with you versus somebody else? And practice it out loud until you can do it succinctly and eloquently if somebody puts you on the spot. If you can't do this, this is a major test, I think, for all agents, Tim, is if you can't tell me succinctly why I would want to do business with you, that says a lot. So well, can but you Julie, tell yourself to yourself? To yourself? But That's isn't that the very... thing and a skill thing, yeah. Exactly. I mean, what you're just saying, isn't that the very question that prevents agents from actually becoming listing agents? What yeah. makes me different? Maybe. I mean, if you, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you guys write down all your worst case scenario seller questions, what makes you different? How many houses like mine have you sold? What's your average, you know, days on the market? What's your this? What's your that? I mean, if you were to write those questions down and look at them and say, okay, these are all the questions I live in fear of basically having a seller ask me. Well, guys, especially those of you who are in one of our coaching programs, the pre-listing pack that we give you guys, which is basically done for you, uh, yeah, all those. Worst case scenario questions that a seller might ask you are all handled ahead of time. That way you don't get the questions. So when you join our coaching program, guys, um, the bottom line is, is all the excuses that you've been giving yourself, maybe you don't know you consciously have been giving yourself, and we're shining light on it today that really you have been giving yourself or focusing primarily on buyers, and now you know you have to pivot towards sellers. The reality of it is, is that 
you know, these issues that you have that's been holding you in the buyer, you know, agent world, you can break free of those and you can learn how to be a listing agent. You know, the funny thing, guys, is, is you think the competition's on the listing side of things. And sure, there's lots of competition. The competition's on the buyer side of things, okay? You guys are competing so aggressively with other agents for each and every buyer lead because there's so many of you who have actually been led to believe you've been, you, your whole in, entire real estate careers, you've been led to believe that at some point in the future, you will be somehow ordained a listing agent or after you've, you know, worked with enough clients and they'll start listing the houses with you when they, you know, basically decide to sell the house you sold to them. All these little myths, oh, you can't work in that price range because, you know, you are a new agent, so you have to focus on first-time buyers. I mean, you know, guys, there's validity to all those points, but the reality of it is, is you, ch- you can make your own reality. You can choose to decide to be a listing agent. You can choose to be a listing agent of expensive homes. You can focus on first-time buyers. It's really whatever you want for yourself. So, Julie, let's drill down more on the thinking issue. So, the how am I thinking checklist. Yeah, this is a great nine-point simple checklist. How am I thinking? Go through checking yourself on this. So, Number one, when I worry, here's your checklist. Would an important person worry about this? Would the most successful person I know be disturbed about this thing I'm worrying about? Yes or no? The answer is no. Stop worrying about it. Point number two, an idea. Would an important person, what would that important person do if he had this idea? What would they do? Would they implement it? Would they get more information? What would an important person that I look up to do with this idea? Number three, and this is more of an issue for some agents than others, my appearance. Do I look like someone who has maximum self-respect? Do I look like a listing agent? Do I look like somebody with great, beautiful, fantastic listing inventory? If not, what should I do about it? Number four, and this is something we also work on on coaching calls and different levels of this, my language. Am I using the language of successful people? This is, I mean, we can stop on this one, right, Tim? So I'm sure you hear. Yeah, we can talk about this for 10 hours. I'm (laughs) going to try to do that. I might possibly be able, maybe I'll think about that. So, what is the language that you're using? What are you actually telling yourself when you walk up to a listing appointment? What's the language in your head? Go ahead. I had a great, I had a great coaching call today, and uh, I'm only going to use his first name, Leon in LA, and I know he listens to the radio show. And so, Julie, uh, he just basically essentially lost the listing that he had for over $800,000 with a motivated seller that had to sell. So basically, it's $24,000 in lost revenue. He had the seller essentially, and he had, five, he had received five offers on this property. Well, this, the, you know, they had inherited the property. Their parents had lived there for a long time. If they had an emotional tie to the property and you know all these other things that were going on. And, and they received an offer. It was listed for 825 They received an offer for 810 And you know, Leon was not using the right language to help these people understand the importance of accepting this offer in light of the fact there wasn't a lot of competition right now this time of year. And, you know, first offer is often the best offer, and at least that's counteroffer. And, and I don't know what he said because I wasn't listening in, but evidently whatever he said didn't resonate with the sellers because they fired him. And so he brought to a, the coaching call today asking me about what he could have done differently. And I gave him some phrasing. I gave him some language. Like, for example, the first thing I asked him to do is learn how to basically, you know, be first of all, be more empathetic and sympathetic towards your sellers. Always remember, even on investment properties, that buying and selling of real estate 
uh, is never, I mean, people will reinforce their decision with analytical information, but at the end of the day, they're always buying or selling for emotional reasons. So when they're buying, they're excited because they're moving into a new house. But when they're selling, oftentimes, it's not, it's, they're, it's for a sad reason sometimes. In this particular case, this being a great example, because if I remember correctly, the parents had passed away. So the moral of the story was is that Leon had to learn different phrasing. For example, when he opposed to just hitting him over the head with the analytical CMA information about why they need to sell now and the market data and the stats and the graphs and all the other stuff that you know basically a lot of agents think are going to convince sellers, um, you know, I said, Mr. I uh, scripted him and say you know something along the lines of, Mr. Seller, can I tell you what scares me for you um, about your decision just to let this offer go? And and then, you know, okay, the seller says, sure, we'll go ahead. Well, first of all, by asking permission to give them bad news using the right language, you're all of a sudden moving it away from or moving them away from the defensive posture, at least momentarily. And then you go into, Mr. Seller, listen, I want you to understand that I am 100% behind the, any decision that you make. And, of course, if you want to let this buyer go, that's fantastic. You know, that's your decision. I will 100% reinforce and, 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 you know, back you up on that decision. Please understand that I'm, I'm here for you, and it's my job to get you the best price and best terms. In other words, listeners, what he wanted to do or what he needs to do is he needs to almost oversell the fact that despite the fact that the seller's in an emotional state not liking the offer, the language he uses has to be reminding the sellers that he is working for them and uh, he's not trying to just advocate for the buyer or advocate for a lower offer. What scares me for you, Mr. Seller, is that we, if we don't accept the offer, if we don't at least counteroffer the offer, and another 30 days or less, we're going to be competing with a lot more inventory that might actually represent a better value in the eyes of the buyers, and that's going to leave us in a position of wishing we'd re- accepted this offer, at least countered this offer. And I don't want you to be looking in your rearview mirror with regrets. Okay? So that's the type of language that you have to use, you know, and you have to evolve your presentation styles so that you can be smooth to help the sellers normal, natural conclusion that in that particular case, they probably should have accepted the offer. By the way, his homework was to call that seller back and try to get that listing back because they haven't received it yet. So, Julie, what's the next point? Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. Be on the same side of the table as your clients because they are very sensitive to that, especially now. So, number five, would I read, would an important person read this? Some of you guys need to catch yourself during the day wondering what kind of website are you on anyway. So would an important person actually read this? Number six, conversation. Is this something successful people would discuss? Is it appropriate? Is it salient to the conversation? Is it moving things forward? So conversation. Is this what successful people would discuss? Number seven, and you know, this is another big black hole of real estate deals. When I lose my temper, when an important person get mad at what I'm mad at, Sometimes you guys like to get unglued, and, and there are certain agents out there that think that negotiating is beating the crap out of the other side. Negotiating is bringing two parties together to have a reasonable result that both are happy with. Your job is to mediate, not to come unglued and you know, throw things around and hang up on each other. right? And some agents, you know, when they lose their temper, they are really unglued. So would an important person that you look up to get mad at what you're mad at? Or would they manage the situation? And that goes back to what you were talking about, Tim, is managing your language when you're in front of your clients and prospects. So even your jokes, point number eight, my jokes, is this kind of, the kind of a joke that an important person would tell? Am I being appropriate? Is it funny? Is it cute? Is it fun? Or is it just weird? <laughs> okay. So number nine, my job. 
how does an important person describe his job to others? And in real estate, Tim, agents who are meeting or exceeding their goals, otherwise known by some as top producers, the agents that agents look up to, if you were to ask them what their job is, when they really have that figured out, the answer is creating leads, following up on them, pre-qualifying, presenting, negotiating, and closing. Agents who haven't actually thought that out will say things that kind of make sense and certainly are true, like you know, taking care of clients and showing property and this and that, and that's all true. But what is your job as someone who you would like other agents to look up to, as someone who is meeting or exceeding your goals? What is your job? Can you describe it to other people? What do you actually do? And sometimes, Tim, it's kind of fun to put agents on the spot on this. If I, I will ask them, what do your 10 sellers think you do during the day? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if they knew what you actually do, would you still have those listings? It's a nice mindset test, I think. Well, Julie, let me tell them the story about uh, last year. Uh, we, we've received uh, two, maybe three offers, or at least, um, how would you call it, um, casting agents and talent scouts emailing us, oh, asking yeah. us if we wanted to do reality TV shows. And they haven't been a fit for us. We're not really looking for anything because, I mean, frankly, the whole idea of doing a reality TV show just makes my teeth itch. But, I mean, they're, you know, it's one of these on the real estate-oriented channels maybe. You know, and these are casting agents, and they kind of were just looking to see fill spots of hosts. So they're asking us to be hosts for these particular shows. And the reason that we're a great fit is because the shows were all geared towards flippers and things like that, which isn't our, really our wheelhouse. But you know what's funny? The last show that I uh, w- that we were uh, say, hey, you know, we're not a good fit, but how about this for an idea? It was what we were going to call um, basically. The idea was Julie and I were going to take one of our coaching students per episode, and we are just going to pop in. <laughs> you know, we are going to show up at their office. We are going to show up at their office at you know nine o'clock, and we are going to essentially follow them around. We may have even had cameras put in their uh, you know, there's places of business Agent ahead camp. of time. We may have even had them watched prior so we could actually see what their working habits were. And then, so it'd be like a real estate intervention show. So then we go from like the before and then there's the after, after some coaching and some, you know, some really putting in place some great business systems and all the rest of it. Now, we thought that would be a great radio sh- or TV show, but I've yet to find somebody else that agrees. But yeah, would you want to be on a TV show like that? Would you sign your name up to be on? Some of you would. I know some of you would you know, be phenomenal. Matter of fact, the before and the after would probably be about the same because you're doing such a great job. But the rest of you, those of you right now are thinking there's no way in hell I would do something like that. Well, those are the ones, and that's a majority of you, that you're, if you're being honest with yourself, you need to start thinking about where are the areas that you need to improve and what are those areas that are going to have the most dramatic effect on your business. So, Julie, the next bit. You got it. So cement in your mind the question, is this the way an important person does it? Point number one, look important. Number two, actually think what you're doing is important. Number three, give yourself a pep talk several times a day. Build a sell yourself to yourself commercial in your mind and actually sell yourself to yourself a few times a day. Number four, in all of life situations, ask yourself, is this the way an important person thinks? Put yourself through that filter and then make the necessary changes if you're answering no to those things. So do you look like, sound like, act like, and think like the person that you are trying to be, the person that you want to be perceived at? So these are some really great questions and some accountability to be writing down and take seriously. So Tim, the next thing 
is talking about managing your environment, it says go first class. So what does that mean? Well, okay, so Jules, why don't you just go ahead and jump in for the sake of uh, time. We can actually cover this section too because this is really important. Guys, at the end of the day, if you can manage your environment, if you can manage your health, and you can manage your finances, if you think about those three categories, in other words, your environment, your house is clean, organized, there's not a lot of junk everywhere, it doesn't look like a bunch of you know pack rats live there, that sort of thing. You can manage your health, you keep your weight in check, you exercise on a regular basis, uh, you know, you go to the dentist once a year, all those types of things, and your finances, if you manage those three categories in your life, uh, really everything else kind of works itself out. So, Julie, what, is, what does he mean? Let's just jump right in. What does he mean by go first class? So the number one obstacle on the road to high-level success is the feeling that major accomplishment is beyond reach. This attitude stems from many, many suppressive forces that direct or thinking uh, towards media, I'm sorry, towards mediocre levels. So if the obstacle is not feeling like you can do it or feeling like that major accomplishment is beyond reach, that's going to hold you back. So there are those people who surrender completely. You can easily spot those people because they go to great lengths to rationalize their status and explain how, quote, happy they really are. So we're talking about are you actually believing that you can do it? Well, there are people who surrender partially, Lots of talented, intelligent people who elect to kind of crawl through life because they're afraid to actually stand up and run. They're kind of making an effort, but they're not running. And then those who never surrender to that thought that I can't do it because that accomplishment is beyond reach. So the cure for those thoughts is to actually decide in life, in your business, you're going to go first class. What's that mean? Go first class when you have questions about something. Seeking advice from a failure is like consulting a quack on how to cure cancer. I mean, I, I have to say coaching. Go to free coaching calls for agents.com. Get advice from people who have actually sold real estate before, for actually, example. Actually, Julie, this is a good plug for the new website that we just oh, updated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, guys, if you guys, if you're shopping for a coach, and I know a lot of you are, I would say I don't know. I mean, that's a frequent question I get on free coaching call requests in the notes. I'm, you know, looking for a coach, and I've had this coach in the past, or I've been in this coaching organization, and da 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 da. da. You guys don't know what questions to ask when hiring a coach. Well, we did it for you. Go to compareacoach.com. Compareacoach.com. And I think there's 10 questions. There might be more than 10 questions now that, frankly, you need to be asking before you hire a coach. Uh, And some of them I think you guys will laugh about, um, and others I think you'll really be challenged over. But go to compareacoach.com. So go ahead, Jules. Yes. So, again, we're talking about going first class. That was having to do with questions. Go first class. Think about what happens. This is a great thought, great quote from the book. What happens on weekends and between 6 p.m. and 9 a.m. directly affects a person's performance from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. So that time that you think as your off time, you're not at work time, that actually greatly affects you. So go first class. It's an excellent rule to follow in everything that you do, including the goods and services you buy. And Tim, you and I talk about this a lot. Sometimes you end up rebuying something because you went cheap in the first place, which means you ended up spending two or three times what you would have normally. The blender that we just bought. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, the blender we just bought, 
right? We had some kitchen, we had some KitchenAid blender, and you know, I make Julie and and our family smoothies every morning after we all work out. And this KitchenAid blender just starts to self-destruct. And this thing wasn't old, but what a piece of crap this thing was! Plastic fractures everywhere. And then, uh, what was it? Two weeks ago, I'm using the thing, and it's like nothing's happening. I look down the blender; the actual blade had fractured. The metal blade was made from, like, pop metal, and it just, all right, so whatever. So I go online, and I start researching all these different blenders, and a really nice blender is not cheap, you know, five, 600 bucks, and there's some out there for 1200 bucks, the commercial-grade ones. So I bought the best consumer-grade blender, and that thing showed up uh, two days ago. And let me tell you guys, Blendtec, by the way, if you want to research blenders, Blendtec, and there's, uh, anyway, that's when we bought Man, the thing is sweet. All right, it costs probably five times, maybe five and a half times. I didn't tell Julie the actual price of a normal KitchenAid blender, but it, yeah, but it is like the iPod of blenders. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah, it looks so, like uh, it looks like, like NASA designed it or something. It's crazy. So, exactly. but it, but the point is that that's probably what we should have bought in the first place, and then we wouldn't have had to go through that process. Well, so you know, a lot Julie, of things in life like that. Go ahead. Well, going first class too. I mean, literally, when you're flying. That's something oh, yeah. else that's very interesting. I mean, you and I always fly first class. We just do. And the reason you fly first class is because it's worth it, <laughs> right? It is. The people is we've met in first class, and we don't fly as much as we used to, but the people we have met in first class, um, I, I can tell you guys stories of people that we've met, that think, people we've learned from. You know, flying out of uh, – <laughs> right, I'll tell you one of the best ones. All right, so we're flying out of LAX, and Julie and I are going to Italy for basically a month, and this is a couple years ago. Okay, so we're flying Virgin in first class, and up in the first class lounge, uh, Julie runs into James Bond. I kid you not. Right. And you know Daniel who? For, yeah, Daniel Craig. For her, that's like she was like, okay, I don't even need to go on the trip now. I basically yeah, this I'm is good. a this. Yeah, Hang exactly. out here. <laughs> yeah, she had a nice little conversation with him. Another time we were flying in first class. And we met um, a guy who basically was in the process. He was flying out of Southern California at the time, oddly enough, both California stories. And he had just done, uh, he just got done working. I won't give you guys the details. It doesn't really matter. But the guy was basically a world-famous author and business expert. And Julie was sitting right next to him. And they started having this conversation. He started asking us about our business after she understood what he did. And it wasn't obviously that interesting compared to what he, what he does for a living. But he ended up giving Julie some stellar business advice that we are still showing, sharing with all of our coaching students this day. So the bottom line is, guys, first class is extra money, a lot extra sometimes, because it's worth it. Well, so is virtually everything else. Very rarely, uh, especially in this day, day and age, are you going to find something that's the top echelon of whatever it is that you're willing to purchase that's not, that doesn't represent a value for what you're paying. You know, it's easy for us to rationalize that, you know, a pair of tennis shoes for 50 bucks is as good as a pair of tennis shoes for 200 bucks. Well, they don't last as long. They're not as comfortable. They're not as good on your feet. I mean, there's lots and lots of differences. So always go first class. And if you can't afford to go first class, hey, how about this? Don't buy it at all until you can afford to. So, Julie, we're going to pick up the radio show, I think, on this topic 
Um, I know we have two interviews this week, so we might be picking this one up next week. But, guys, again, thank you for all the great feedback on the radio shows. Thank you for bearing with some of the controversy that I know we brought upon ourselves talking about Zillow and what's going to happen as a result of the List Hub uh, no longer syndicating listings to them. If you guys want to read and listen more about that particular topic or any of the other literally hundreds of other radio shows we've done, just go to realestatecoachingradio.com, realestatecoachingradio.com. If you want to drill down more on the topic that we've been presenting to you um, the past couple days, about thinking big, go to Amazon and buy the book by Dr. David Schwartz. It's called The Magic of Thinking Big. It's a classic book that should definitely be part of your success bookshelf. In the meantime, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for being so supportive. Thank you for sharing today's radio show and all the others with all of your real estate friends and family members. We certainly appreciate it. And we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.